Do you find yourself enjoying incredible stories of people overcoming life-altering experiences? How about traumatic events? What about people who have been through near-death experiences? Guys, if you like those type of stories, please stay tuned for the Hope Stories podcast where we will feature warriors who have survived organ failure and organ transplant. People who have been through life-altering journeys and survived near-death experiences. If you like stories like this, stay tuned for the Hope Stories podcast. Hope Stories podcast is a Hope Media production. Never let hope become a memory. Hope Stories Podcast is a Hope Media Production. Hey guys, this is Jonathan Trailer, and I'm the host of Hope Stories Podcast, and many of you know me from Hope with Jonathan, and I'm doing a new podcast series Hope Stories Podcast. Guys, listen, I realized throughout sharing many warrior stories who had battled kidney disease that there were also many other warriors out there who have done, uh, been through uh, organ transplant, organ failure, and had faced many issues in life, such as, you know, traumatic events, life altering events, near death experiences. And I have met quite a few people who wanted to have a platform to share their story. And so that's why I opted to start Hope Stories Podcast. We will feature warriors who have been through many different things, such as organ transplant, organ failure, uh, traumatic life events, life-changing events, okay? And that's what we're going to be doing here, whether it be a weight loss journey or uh, maybe you face drug addiction and beat that. Or, or maybe you had a liver transplant or a heart transplant. Or, or maybe you went through a traumatic childhood or a divorce or something like that. We're going to share stories for warriors out there who have faced many different battles in this in this life. But guys, based on my near-death experience, yes, I did start Hope with Jonathan. And Hope with Jonathan is pretty much dedicated uh, to kidney disease. But I wanted to start a new platform to help other warriors out there, uh, to give them a platform to be able to share their story and what they've been through. So I started Hope Stories Podcast, and Hope Stories Podcast will be under the umbrella of Hope Media Productions. But guys, listen, I really appreciate all the support for Hope with Jonathan, but this is a brand new venture that we may feature kidney warriors on here, as well as liver transplant patients and, and many, many other type of warrior stories on here. But I really appreciate it, guys, if you would support this podcast. But I'm going to share with you for a few minutes my personal journey, and I hope that it will inspire someone and inspire others. So as the first podcast on Hope Stories podcast, I would like to share my personal journey with battling kidney disease. Guys, on July 8th of 2019, 
I went through emergency kidney failure. That's right, guys. I experienced emergency kidney failure. Let me give you a prequel of what happened before we lead up to July 8th of 2019. So for the first 40 years of my life, I ate what I wanted. I did what I wanted. I was always a strong man, strong individual, able to lift and load and pick up things and always a strong individual, able to do whatever I want. And so I ate whatever I want. And I never listened, never took the advice of doctors, always just did what I wanted, lived how I wanted, ate what I wanted, including pizza, cheeseburger, fast food, you name it, I was eating it. I ballooned up over the course of my first 40 years of life into a massive weight of around 350 pounds. Yeah, I've always been a big guy, big frame guy, six foot, you know, 56 shoulders across, wide body, wide shoulders, muscular build, just always a, you know, big built guy, football body, if you will. But guys, listen, living that lifestyle of not managing my type 2 diabetes and hypertension that I was diagnosed with back when I was 28 years old. Yes, that's right, guys. I had type 2 diabetes back when I was 28 years old. I started having some side effects and I and some symptoms of type 2 diabetes. And I ended up rushing myself to the emergency room where I found out that my sugar was 400. My blood pressure was really high off the charts. I think at that time, my blood pressure was something like 180 over uh, 110. And uh, they they classified me as a classic type 2 diabetic hypertensive. And they put me on medications right away. The number one medication they put me on was metformin. And then they put me on lisinopril. And uh, not to mention that the metformin wasn't enough, so they added glucophage. And I, I balanced my my medications for uh, many years that I took metformin and tried to balance my sugars, but I just never had to quite uh, the education that I needed. Never really had that balance in life where I was eating properly or trained myself or had the mindset to even want to try. I thought since I was on medication that I could just eat whatever I wanted and do whatever I wanted as long as I took my meds. And then there was the moments and times that I had jobs that I didn't quite have insurance. I had moments in life where I wasn't able to afford my medications. And so I kind of fell between the cracks. Not to mention, guys, I had anxiety. I had fear. I had white coat syndrome. Doctors made me uh, nervous. I always knew there was something wrong with me. And so therefore, I was always afraid and I was scared. And so for many years, I neglected my health. And that ultimately ended up into the reason why I'm doing this podcast, July 8th of 2019. So living like that for many years and the effects of high sugar readings and high blood pressure readings, I began to walk about six months before July 8th of 2019. I I had been trying to get my you know sugars under control and I actually started to really try to take care of myself. But guys, it was a little too... Uh, too late. You know, it, it, it was just too late. My kidneys had, you know, began to break down and started dwindling and the kidney function began to dwindle. And before I knew it, my kidneys were completely 
in failure. Guys, I, I'm telling you this story. I, I never tell my story that I want you guys to feel sorry for me because, you know, uh, some of this I brought on myself and some of it was because I fell through the cracks because of, you know, not having insurance and couldn't afford medication. But some of it was was on me too. I didn't have accountability in my life and I wasn't being accountable of my food choices and dietary education and things like this, things that I knew I should have been doing, but I didn't. And then, of course, there was always the attitude, well, I'll start on Monday. But you know what, guys, what I found out, Monday never comes, and then Tuesday comes, and Wednesday comes, and Thursday, and et cetera, et cetera, and and you just never start, and then the weekend hits, and yeah, I'll start again on Monday, but again, guys, Monday it just, it never comes. It never comes and you never get to start and you never, that, that Monday for you to start just never happens. It's a, it always passes on by and, and you're always there with the mindset that I'll start again Monday, but no, it, it just, it never happens. So slowly but surely, uh, I had started walking and I'd got myself up to about two miles a day and uh, I noticed that I wasn't losing any weight and that I was always hypertensive. Blood pressure was staying pretty high. Never could get it to go down into normal range, even with medication. And ultimately, I started getting really, really sick. And uh, I started changing and morphing into a person that I didn't recognize anymore. My children didn't recognize anymore. My wife didn't recognize anymore. I was short-tempered, angry. I had a lot of toxins in my body and I didn't know what was going on. I started to swell. My ankles got very, very large. Uh, I call them cankles. They, uh, they basically, you know, my legs were just basically full of fluid. Um, started moving up into my thighs. My thighs started swelling as well. And uh, before I knew it, guys, I, I was in bad shape. I was in the bed for about four days. My wife kept begging me to get up, go to the emergency room, and I just thought it was the flu. Reason why I thought it was the flu was I was throwing up, I had diarrhea, and I was pretty sickly. I couldn't keep anything down, and it just mimicked to me the same symptoms of flu. I didn't have any strength, and I was very weak and lethargic. But I didn't, I didn't take in, under consideration the the swelling of my ankles and my temperament change and all of these different signs and symptoms because all of it led up to signs and symptoms of kidney disease and kidney failure. Listen, guys, I'm sharing this information for somebody to get a hold of this podcast that it may save your life. Had I been educated on kidney disease, kidney failure, the effects of type 2 diabetes, hypertension, guys, I would have probably been able to save myself from going through this life altering traumatic event but guys listen I ended up going through this and I survived it so my wife finally begged me to get out of bed and I tried to get out of bed and ultimately crashed in the floor ended up with no strength at all and my son who was 17 at the time had to help me get in the bed my wife helped me as well and I knew in my heart that something majorly was wrong 
And my wife said, you know what? I haven't seen you urinate. You haven't been to the bathroom. You need to try to go to the bathroom. And I tried to go to the bathroom. And guys, listen, I couldn't urinate at all. The feeling was there, but I couldn't go. My kidneys had failed. Guys, listen, I was scared out of my mind. Little did I know the whole time that I was battling this, I had been drinking some drinks that had high potassium. And uh, I didn't realize that I was really raising my potassium levels because when your kidneys don't function, you have no way to uh, extrude the waste and get rid of potassium, things like that, get rid of waste and toxins in your body. And the potassium began to build up. And my score later on, I found out from my lab that my blood work showed that my potassium was a nine, which is off the charts high. Listen, guys, my heart began to beat in a really strained rhythm. I was, it was beating out of my chest. I was breathing as if I had ran a marathon. I began to really get really physically sick and I wasn't sure what was happening to me. And I still remember sitting on the edge of the bed. I grabbed my pillbox and I took an aspirin. And as I sat on the edge of the bed, I began to reach out to God and I began to pray. And I prayed a prayer that God, please, if you'll spare me, God, I'll help other people. I'll use my testimony to help other people. And you know what? God did spare me. But let me get on further down into the story, guys. So listen, so we called 911. The ambulance came. They began to work me up. They thought that I was basically had some fluid on the lungs and that's why I was experiencing what was going on but they couldn't really tell me why so then they rushed me to the emergency room here to my local hospital local hospital thought the same thing they really didn't have a diagnosis at first so they ran labs ran blood work and immediately come crashing in the room once they got the results he's in immediate kidney failure he He's got, we've got to get him out of here. We've got to put him in the helicopter and airlift him to San Antonio right away. We don't have a dialysis ward. That's what they kept saying. Within moments, guys, I was strapped to a bed, put inside of a helicopter, and airlifted to San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio's about an hour drive. I made it to San Antonio in the helicopter in 20 minutes. Listen, guys, I'd never flown in a helicopter before and had anxiety of flying in a helicopter, had a fear of heights. But you know what? I had peace the whole ride all the way through. Ultimately, guys, when I hit the uh, doors of the emergency room, I still remember the sound of the of the of the emergency room physician. He said, grab the crash cart. And guys, listen, after I heard him say, you better grab the crash cart. I blacked out. When I say I blacked out, everything went dark. I woke up, guys, three days later in the ICU. They had already intubated me. I had hose, tubes, and lines all over my body. There was a machine next to me that I'd never seen before in my life. It was quite a large machine. And this was a dialysis machine that they use to take off a large amount of fluid and run for 
uh, a long time. I had been on the machine for three days. And I found out later on that they had taken off 30 pounds of fluid within that three days. Listen, guys, I later on got back to me while my family was struggling with this and dealing with this. They, they were in a panic and it was a really, really traumatic time. They began to pray for me and they were there for me and my, my immediate family was there for me. My mom, my stepdad, my, my son, my, my wife, my, my daughter. They began to pray and reach out to God for me to survive this because they had already been told and warned that it wasn't looking good. It was actually looking pretty grim that I wouldn't survive this. And guys, within a few days, uh, three days later, after I finally, finally came to, I began to look around the room and notice all these things going on around me with the tubes, holes, and lines, and my family there. The machine that I was just, I had no education on, had no idea what this machine running was, but all I knew was, was that I was back, but I was in a state of confusion and I didn't understand quite what had happened to me. It was a very scary, traumatic event. And I knew right away that God had spared me, but I had no way to relate it. And so believe it or not, over the over the course of my childhood, uh, my sister, uh, who was born with a, uh, a rare disease that ultimately took her hearing, and my mom began to uh, learn sign language, and I actually learned sign language as well. I resorted to using sign language to communicate with them. And, uh, you know, I began to communicate with my mom, and I began to tell her that, Hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm back. I, I know what's going on. I need them to take out this hose and I'd like to be able to talk. And so gradually, surely and slowly, but surely they came in the room and they begin to work with me and eventually get the tube out of my throat. And uh, once they took out the tube, I was able to sort of speak. My throat was kind of scratchy. But again, guys, I was in a state of shock of three days. I had been out. This life-altering event did not stop there. I literally had to, uh, during the course of those three days, I eventually, I had to show these uh, uh, PT workers that came in, physical therapy workers, that I could get up out of the bed and begin to walk. And I got out of bed for the first time within those, you know, three or four days. And it was a very, very uh, scary situation because I realized that I had lost my muscle and my strength. And I, I had enough strength to do the physical therapy, but there was just something that wasn't quite right with me. It ultimately led me to have to literally learn how to walk again. I had to walk with a walker. I, could, I couldn't even walk the halls of the hospital. My, my strength was gone. My muscle mass was nowhere near what it was at one time. And I realized that I was in pretty bad shape. And guys, I feared the worst. I feared that I wasn't going to survive this. I thought this possibly was going to be the end. 
and during the times that I was uh, put in a in a room that just a general room when I finally uh, exited the ICU at the shock of and the disbelief of, of my nurses and uh, the ones that had worked on me. And I even had one nurse that came up from the uh, emergency room. He, he wanted to see me because he couldn't believe that I survived this because normally the scenario ends the other way. He wanted to see me. He wanted to see this guy that survived this event. And so at their amazement, I ended up graduating to just a general room where they could monitor me. And they began to monitor me. Uh, and I continued with dialysis and began to realize that this was going to be part of me for a while. And this new regimen was going to be my new lifestyle, my new way of survival. And guys, I had some dark moments in the in the hospital room. I, I had some moments of fear. I had, I had some really traumatic uh, pity party moments, if you will. I had some moments where I really was feeling sorry for myself and, and I had to reflect on on the moments that, and the reasons why that I had ultimately ended up in this situation. The number number one reason was a word called accountability. You see, I wasn't accountable for my lifestyle of living with type 2 diabetes, the hypertension. I was eating what I wanted and did what I wanted. And I wasn't being accountable. And I had to realize that that word accountability had to become part of my life. And so I began to, in these dark moments, I began to have another word, acceptance. And I knew I had to, and here's another one, adapt. And so I knew I had to adapt and accept and move on. I had to accept what was going on with, with me and accept what's happened. And I had to adapt and adhere to some changes or I wasn't going to make it. And listen, guys, it wasn't easy, but I knew I had to do it. And I'm just, I'm blessed to have the support that surrounded me my wife, my kids, my family, different ones that prayed for me. It was it was very, very traumatic. And they came in the room and began to begin to school me on, you know, the renal diet, begin to tell me different do's and don'ts. And I was like, wow, you know, my life is going to completely change. And I had to make a commitment to myself that I was going to make those changes. And so ultimately I decided right there in the hospital that I would go cold turkey off of all of these bad foods that I'd been eating. And I was going to make some life choices and life changes, including dietary. And I wasn't going to give up on my hopes and dreams of exercising and continuing in good health. I had decided because of this near-death experience that I was going to do the best I could do to take care of myself. So guys, eventually after a two week stay in the ICU uh, or, you know, and the hospital. So it was three days in the ICU and then two weeks stay overall in the hospital. I finally got to leave that hospital in San Antonio, Texas. And I left with a central line in my chest doing hemodialysis three days a week. And I finally got a chair at a local uh, DeVita here. Uh, in Kerrville, Texas, where I live. It's about an hour outside of San Antonio. I began to 
dude, my dialysis treatments three days a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. And I began to do that. And I realized that this was my new life. And I had some ups and downs in dialysis and I had some really tough days. And uh, I remember when I came in to uh, my dialysis center, they immediately began to talk to me about getting a fistula installed. You see guys, because I was an emergency kidney failure patient, I didn't really have uh, the options of seeing a nephrologist or consulting with a nephrologist about choices of peritoneal or go ahead and getting my fistula installed or going ahead and looking and searching for a donor. Ultimately, I was an emergency case. I had no choice but to do hemodialysis in a central line in my chest. And after they had talked with me about the effects of having that central line and the possibilities of infection, I ultimately opted to get the fistula put in and that was a success. And you know, I went in and, you know, of course they, uh, they wanted to start sticking it as soon as it matured. And that was a couple of weeks after probably a good, uh, what, six weeks or so. They finally got the first treatment. And then my center told me after about a week of good treatments, then they would graduate me and let me go get my central line taken out. And ultimately that's what happened. I did three successful treatments and went back over and had my central line taken out and then they come back for the next treatment and yeah it happened my my fistula gave them problems they had problems finding where to stick me in the appropriate places and i wasn't able to get dialysis that day and it was scary and uh they infiltrated my arm and i had bruising and and this, this began to lead up to, uh, you know, it, it continued I, and it, it led up to ultimately having to have the vascular surgeon come over there and actually train them on where to stick me in my fistula. And of course, guys, after it matured and got better, then, you know, this, this got better. But then there was issues where, where my blood pressure was dropping uh, quite frequently toward the end of treatment into a dangerous level, you know, like 80 over 50. And, uh, you know, I had moments where they had to throw me back in the chair because my blood pressure went so low and they had to give me fluids and things like that. So I had some really traumatic events with uh, with dialysis, with the infiltration and all of that. And, uh, you know, my, my blood pressure dropping and things like that. But ultimately, guys, I survived all this and ultimately graduated eventually to home hemo because I got to a point where I was so educated. I, listen, guys, if any advice at all that I can give you guys, that if you're going to battle kidney disease and you have to go through it, learn as much about it as you can immediately when they tell you that, you know, you're, 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 you've got kidney disease, you need to learn as much as you can about it. It will help you. And you're going to hear this term a lot. You are your own best advocate. And it's so true. But you need to educate yourself on everything about kidney disease, dialysis, transplants, so much more. You need, to, you need to educate yourself on the renal diet and all of it. You need to educate yourself on, on you know, transplant and finding yourself a donor and all of that. But ultimately, guys, I, I got so, so educated on the machine and asking questions with my tech 
and uh, asking questions with my the nurse there, the Davida. I would ask them all kind of questions, and they were willing to help me and tell me all the answers that they they could give me. And I began to soak up all the information, and before I knew it, I was telling them how to run me on the machine. Hey, turn this down, turn me off. Um, listen, I don't feel so well. You know, I began to learn my body. Ultimately, I think they realized that I was a candidate for possibly moving on to home hemodialysis. And I brought a pamphlet home and showed it to my wife and began to talk to her about home hemodialysis. And uh, after watching some YouTube videos, my wife said, you know what, I think I'm willing to do it. I can learn it. And so we signed up to do home hemodialysis and went in and started our training and I, we trained for probably about uh, probably three to four weeks. And uh, they began to put my wife on hands-on training. By the third day, she was sticking me. And uh, she progressed well, and she learned uh, the setup well. And we went through the whole system and setup, and we did really well with it. Learned it quickly and graduated in about three, three and a half weeks. By the time we got back here to the house uh, to do... Uh, our, our dialysis treatment, our first couple of dialysis treatment, all of the training that we had kicked in and we were able to really have a, a, a good uh, first couple of weeks of treatment. Now, we did have some hiccup moments and some issues. You know, a couple of machines were faulty and uh, we had some moments that we had to practice the uh, emergency cutoff because uh, we had some rainstorms come through and lightning struck and power went out and we had to, uh, you know, resort to emergency cutoff procedures. And, uh, but it was because of our great training at our DeVita Center that we had here that uh, helped us get through it. But, uh, yeah, listen, guys, I'm telling you all this to help somebody. I'm telling you my story to help you. And uh, I hope that this reaches someone and hope this inspires someone. But ultimately, guys, after three months of... Uh, of, of doing home hemo and uh, ultimately uh, 13 or 14 months total of doing hemodialysis uh, in center, including home hemodialysis, I got the call for transplant. And yes, I am very grateful for my, for my donor and my donor family. But guys, that's another podcast for another time. But listen, guys, ultimately, I'm just going to leave you with this. You guys, when you face a a chronic illness or a traumatic event you gotta hang on to hope and you gotta believe in hope a hope's all you got and when you've reached the bottom uh, you you gotta you gotta find a way to find something positive and find something to believe in and the only way to get through it is is through a positive mindset and support and support is so crucial and I'm one of the blessed ones that had family and friends and people that cared about me. And for the ones that don't out there that may come across this podcast, I, I would strongly urge you to reach out to your community, maybe your church, maybe a hospital, your social worker, maybe social worker can direct you. But listen, do not go through this battle alone because it is not an easy road. My story, compared to many other warriors that I've met, uh, doesn't even compare to some of the stories that some people and some warriors have. And I can't tell you the reasons why God spared me because many times, guys, I could have I could have been taken at any time. I could have passed. 
Could have passed here at the apartment. Could have passed on the way to the hospital. Could have passed in the helicopter. Could have passed in the ICU. I'll leave you with this. God, God spared me though. God spared me for a reason to share my story with others, to help others. And if anything, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm not an educator. I'm not a teacher. I don't have a degree. I don't have a degree or a nursing or, or a degree to spread education for kidney disease. And I don't consider myself an educator at all. But if anything, guys, I will share what knowledge that I do have. Listen, if you've got type 2 diabetes or you got hypertension, you need to go in and have your blood work done and stay on top of your labs and have a simple blood test and a urine sample. The blood test, they can check your creatinine levels and see if you have a normal creatinine level. And then the urine sample, they can see if you have protein in the urine. If you have protein in the urine, that's not normal. You need to find out why you have protein in the urine. And if your creatinine's high, then you need to find out why your creatinine's high. And more than likely, guys, if your creatinine's high and you got protein in your urine, you're battling some form of kidney disease, whether it be um, FSGS, uh, IGAN, uh, Alports, uh, chronic kidney disease due to type 2 diabetes, hypertension, uh, lupus. Uh, man, there's just so many, uh, so many different ways that you can end up with uh, kidney disease. But listen, guys, I share my story with you tonight. And I'm a survivor, guys. I'm a survivor of a near-death experience with kidney disease. And I share my story with you tonight to help motivate you, inspire you to keep going. And listen, if you're battling kidney disease, just know that you're not alone. And to hang on to hope. God bless. I hope you guys will continue to tune in to the Hope Stories podcast. And I will be sharing more stories just like this of survivors and warriors. God bless you guys. Take care. This is Jonathan.